This is Do We Like Movies. It's a podcast where two guys review individual movies, sequels, and occasional television shows. In this show, we talk about our experiences with them, and we answer the question, do we like this movie? Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your remember the 80s host, Javi. And okay. All right. <laughs> so we've been saying for weeks and weeks that we were going to do Ready Player One. I'm pretty sure that we had been talking about doing this movie for at least a month at this point. Yep. And it's been really mostly due to my problems with scheduling lately. And that this episode recording has been delayed like several times now. <laughs> um, this is, I, I'm almost, I'm not trying to treat this episode like it's a trip to the dentist, but it almost feels like a chore now that we've gotten here. So I'm going to try to make this as fun as possible for the listener, but I cannot tell you that I was in the mood to come back and talk about this movie. <laughs> so spoiler alert this movie sucks (laughs) just putting that out there right from the beginning you know what the funny thing is when i saw this movie like four or five weeks ago i actually didn't even think it was that bad and then now that like i have to talk about it like a month later i'm like oh this fucking sucks (laughs) (laughs) you like suddenly i fucking hate the shit out of this movie (laughs) All right, so Ready Player One, I know that you have read the book that this is based on, correct? Don't out me. I sound like such a fucking nerd. I'm just saying that, we, I mean, no, much like, you know, it's like we're right now we're, we're, we're in one of us has only seen this movie. Mm-hmm. The other of us has seen the movie and read the book. Yep. And I remember I read the book. And at the time of reading it, I was like, this book is really good. It's very, it's very well written. It's very interesting. And then I like started kind of like going over it again. And as I watched them, you know, I watched the movie, I watched the movie and I was like, oh, okay. So they are going on a completely different route of what happened in the book. Like there was like some main plot points that were changed. Ultimately they got like, they got they got most of the big ticket items like kind of they they got that correct but there's a lot of things that got changed because the book is essentially a love letter to 80s and 90s and just nerd culture in general Mm -hmm. um and that's great like don't get me wrong like i think i thought it was a fun read but when i went back to it i just can't help but cringe because after a while it's like you know when you have rose-colored glasses i think it's like watching like something like stranger things right where you're just like oh wow this is really cool on your first watch through and you start kind of really getting into it but then when you try to go back to it and you start noticing a lot of the imperfections in it and how you know at least in the stranger things um don't want to get too sidetracked here but kind of how stranger things eventually just became super like commercialized (laughs) and like that was the big focus of the series yeah that there was a lot of things where it was just it was ready player one essentially to me started feeling like nerds just 
trying to out nerd each other and uh, it, it always feels weird like it feels weird under you know like there's some references that won't be for everybody because uh, whether it's in the book or in the movie because um you know the, like nerd culture spans so many decades and so many different genres and so many different things uh it's impossible to nail something down for one person um but i mean it's a fun it's a fun series if you want to check out the book go ahead i i think there are things that are better written than that now after i had some time to kind of really digest that but i mean for what it is it's i i, I was listening to this other podcast back when ready player one first came out and i think they had a very interesting analysis of it where they just called it funko pop the movie <laughs> and it's very much the vibe of how many characters can we pack into this licensed characters by the way can we pack into this and then uh, you know turn them into funko pops i you know i think the reason why this feels really flat to me now and let's okay so this movie's directed by steven spielberg steven spielberg someone who gen x oh, nobody yeah like i mean like particularly gen xers like he is their god right Mm -hmm. (laughs) and um so like it is one of those things where yes i watched et poltergeist you know a lot of the spielberg associated projects but they're not something that i tie to my childhood they're stuff i liked but by the time I was growing up in the 90s, it, it was like Jurassic Park was the great Spielberg, was the last great Spielberg movie. And then I got into high school and I finally discovered uh, Saving Private Ryan like 10 years after it came out or whatever. And, you know, it's like, I feel like Steven Spielberg was already kind of waning by the time I was in my teens to adult years. Um, so it's like, yeah, this is stuff that other people like that appreciate. The other thing, too, is it feels kind of overdone, particularly me watching it this year, because what came out just a few years, a few months ago, it was the Space Jam sequel. Right. And the Space Jam sequel, what that movie does is instead of taking all the Looney Tunes characters um, and putting them in a movie with LeBron James, it took absolutely every single Warner Brothers own property and put them into a single movie uh in their what they called the server verse like basically making the joke that everything inside the warner brothers server is like a free-for-all gangbang of characters in there and that's kind of what this felt like to me right <laughs> a free-for-all gangbang that might be the best line like you've ever said i mean i hope we isolate that i want to turn that into a soundbite <laughs> and that's kind of what this is i was just kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah this is neat and it was probably neat but man did like i this movie just came and went and yep. i never watched it and i didn't care to go back to it until you brought it up for this podcast <laughs> so i can't say i was ever really excited for it and i feel like post crystal skull spielberg is something that i'm absolutely not interested in like tintin lincoln like it's just all old man movies that i'm <laughs> <laughs> that interested in watching at this point he's making movies for people that were kids when he was first started making movies right and it's like that's what because that's what this film is like ultimately it does and i mean the book same thing uh which is really weird to me because i think you know there's more decades than just the 80s like 
That wasn't the end all be all of music and movies and pop culture. I mean, a lot of people, like we get so many 80s movies that come out or movies that reference like the 80s as a decade. And it's like, you know what? Your target demo is like 10 years too young for that to understand some of these references. We're kind of transitioning into 90s now. I feel like there's a lot more 90s nostalgia that's going back and forth. Uh, between like the reboots of all these like 90s uh, sitcoms that are coming to streaming services mm-hmm. and uh, cartoons that are being brought back like I really do feel like right now we're 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 we may finally be you know the 80s had us in a chokehold for like the 2010s thanks to stuff like Stranger Things and Super 8 and I feel like now we might be finally freeing ourselves from the grip of the <laughs> 80s into the firm chokehold that is the 1990s. <laughs> Fuck you, Gen Xers. It's our time to shine. <laughs> and, even, for- and even do to a certain extent, like the early 2000s. So I'm, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. It's definitely, I, I think this movie came out maybe 10 years too late for me to care about. And apparently it was in production like since 2010. And I feel like if this movie came out between 2010 and 2012, it probably would have found a sweeter spot uh, that would have worked. I I think it's just coming out in 2018. It's like you already had Stranger Things and you already had Super 8, which were derivative of Spielberg projects. And then more importantly, you already had like it that had come out the year before. So it was just like this concept of, hey, remember how much you like stuff in the 80s was Mm -hmm. had been done to such death at this point that yeah, I can't imagine that anyone wanted to really watch this when it first came out. But I definitely didn't. So uh, anyway, besides just ragging on <laughs> on 80s nostalgia, we yeah, should probably eventually get into this. Yeah, what is this, a Marvel podcast? We don't normally <laughs> I, rail on anything this hard that long. <laughs> I hate the 80s. <laughs> I hate the 80s. Why the 80s suck and why you 40-year-olds need to shut up about it. <laughs> oh yeah come at me gen xers but first uh, I, I don't know I, was, I don't know where i was going with that bit i'm so tired it's been a long day i really don't want to talk about this movie anymore yeah all right so, so ready player one the movie revolves around i guess a bunch of characters right uh it is one of those ensemble cast kind of deals but even though it is fully even though it's fully like surrounding one character right like does that make sense what i'm saying (laughs) be ready you shits because if you watch this movie if you haven't yet the first like 15 to 20 minutes of this movie is all exposition it is so hard to get into this movie Mm -hmm. like because it does spend so much time setting up the universe like it's it's so weird like to think about it because we haven't had something original kind of do this in a while and maybe stuff like i'll put another movie that had a complicated well not complicated but it it takes a while to like chris nolan movies right mm-hmm. they take like it they take half an hour to set up the concept of what the movie's going to be about and it's like man if you if you can't fucking follow it like sometimes you'll have to watch it a couple times this one it's like it's telling you the concept of, of, of what's going on, like what the Oasis is. Like we, we basically live in a world that is the shitty, not too distant future from now 
where yeah. like the entire earth is polluted people live in like high-rise trailer parks <laughs> and, yeah so uh, the stacks i fucking love the stacks it's such a fucking like shithole <laughs> It's awesome. I kind of actually like it. Like the 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 idea of like it's this weird like thing where like you know it should just be a one story place, but you look out the window and you're like stories and stories above above the ground. It's it's kind of neat. Um, the world is interesting enough that it makes you kind of look at it. Like I can imagine this is probably cool in three D. Um, it was like the best way to describe the world that these characters exist in is imagine Detroit and Robocop, but it's literally everywhere now. <laughs> and you either live in really nice houses or you read or you live in complete squalor. Mm-hmm. And and that's what's really weird. So the film revolves around uh our main character, Wade Watts, who's deliberately named to have like a superhero-esque name, like Clark Kent or Peter Parker. Uh, that makes sense because that's what yeah. I was thinking. The first thing I thought about was, yeah, this sounds like a comic book origin character. He name. even says it at one point that his dad wanted to name him Wade because the the alliteration gives like those vibes. Because here's the thing: everyone in 2045 is a total super nerd because the world sucks. Like Angel was saying, like the environment is destroying itself pretty much mega corporations own your life. And the only be- like the only bit of respite that people have in this shitty world is the Oasis, which is a like completely immersive, um, kind of like a, what's it called VR experience. Mm-hmm. And they do everything in the Oasis. People work in the Oasis. People go to school in the Oasis. Uh, people use it for complete escapism to go to like different worlds and do stuff. You want to gamble, you can. You want to go dancing. You want to go shoot stuff. <laughs> like uh, you want to watch movies. Everything is surrounded by the Oasis. And this was uh, created by two guys, pretty much stand-ins for your Steve Jobs, your... Uh, crap what's his name Wozniak um I'm I'm gonna say okay with the neat part about this is that because it has been so long there was a movie that I watched very recently that I'm very glad that I watched in between when I first watched this uh between the first and second time that I watched this and before this show and that is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory and this movie is kind of a techno thriller version of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. We I have our main, that, yeah. yeah, we have our main character who lives under insanely poor conditions. Uh, he is looking for the golden ticket so that he can go into the eccentric, you know, millionaire's, uh, you know, mystery factory. Well, the main difference being that Willy Wonka is a complete showman and uh, what's his name? Ogden Morrow. Oh, I'm sorry. James Halliday is a total recluse, like socially inept, weird guy. Well, you know what? I think that if you were to make a Willy Wonka movie now, like somebody would like Willy Wonka would be perceived like a fucking weirdo and not the like you know there's something sinister and bizarre about Willy Wonka when you were watching that movie and that I have particularly noticed lately and if no one uh if anyone other than Gene Wilder is Willy Wonka it's even creepier honestly (laughs) looking at you Johnny Depp you weirdo 
<laughs> but no, it's it's definitely like you know, if you want like a quick breakdown, like the simplest plot format possible, it's basically Willy Wonka, where uh, Wade is Charlie, and you know, instead of like having like his grandfather and his family, it really is just him by himself. But much like Charlie, he kind of wants to escape the world that he lives in by, you know, going to the chocolate factory that it represents some sort of much like the Oasis. It represents like hope that you're not going to live in this squalor forever. Yep. So and, the idea, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, the idea was that James Halliday, like, put an Easter egg in the game and whoever's the first to, you know, find the Easter egg. Uh, pretty much gets control of the Oasis as well as um, pretty much all of James Halliday's fortune. So, like, yep, that's your golden ticket. Uh, the way to get the Easter egg is you got to unlock it by procuring three keys, by doing three different challenges. Um, well, and having to essentially scour all of James Halliday's life because apparently the guy recorded his entire brain and put it in the Oasis. So, so um, it's and- like, it's like, it's like Willy Wonka. If, but like the only way you get the golden ticket is by doing like the Riddler riddles from like Arkham Knight. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Just a- like overly complicated way to get to the end. It's just like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> Like, why can't it just be, like, feats of strength or something? <laughs> but, it, yeah, it's just one of those things. So it's a, it's kind of Lawnmower Man meets Willy Wonka <laughs> meets Riddler. The most, like, pain-annoying, like, Riddler challenges you can think of from the Arkham games. Like, and pretty much when, when, right after James Halliday died, he like there was a lot of people trying to figure things out but after a couple years the popularity for it kind of kind of waned as no one was winning or nobody was getting any of the keys Mm -hmm. so pretty much the only people that are focused on getting the keys now are really hardcore egg hunters or gunters as they're called when he said gunters i cringed i don't know why (laughs) it just sounded so lame (laughs) <laughs> and a company by the name of ioi which is led by a pretty much just your stuffy your generic stuffy suit guy uh nolan sorrento um who's essentially trying to win control of the oasis so that way they can do what ea does which is just fill it with microtransactions because microtransactions is a good way to make your villain like in a nerdy movie like absolutely hateable <laughs> yeah and he's played by like that fucking villain guy like that plays villains all the time <laughs> the guy who played uh ben <laughs> mendelson like he played uh the villain in star wars rogue one he played the evil douchey businessman in dark knight rises <laughs> <laughs> we are really getting your a game tonight <laughs> that douchey villain guy that always <laughs> <laughs> it's funny too because like i'm sure ben mendelson has like done better stuff that people know him from and i'm just like oh yeah that fucking scumbag guy who does villain roles all the time he was in spider-man far from home he was in dark knight rises he wasn't he was far right. from home yeah the fuck was he doing in that movie i don't fucking know i don't do i look like the fucking chronicler of far from home do we, we even... did that movie for this podcast one uh, sounds like fake news 
<laughs> Wait, now I gotta look it up. Hold on. I I own that movie. I'm gonna have to watch it again. God, we're such fake fans. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, I don't see him. I, uh, All right, then you're fucking wrong. You're fucking Shut wrong. Up. He has an he has it. an uncredited cameo appearance he, uh, in the post credit scene. He's a scroll, you idiot. Oh okay. Yeah, you didn't. Stupid. You didn't. Oh, uh, apparently he's in Far From Home and Captain Marvel, so he is like in the Marvel camp now. Yeah, he has testicle chin as a scroll. <laughs> <laughs> is he a villain? <laughs> I mean, technically the scrolls are supposed to be villains all right well there we go fantastic who's that villain guy who plays villain the whole time <laughs> no but then captain marvel's like no the scrolls are cool and uh who cares i don't care it's like the shitty part of marvel anyway the new i'm all about the new hotness which is shang chi or i'm i'm sorry shang chi that's how you pronounce it yeah that's right i'm woke what's good <laughs> <laughs> All right, so one thing to remember about why IOI is so evil is pretty much if anyone defaults on payments, <laughs> they have the legal authority to kidnap people and force them to work for them as indentured servants. So <laughs> it's like, this is a little bit too real for me to well, find. Like- it's, it's too real because this movie is a lot of like what gaming like in the 2010s and 2020s is, right? Like, Everything is you get one game and then you get like a million fucking DLC packs that you have to get. And if you don't buy the DLC packs, like there's certain features in the game that you'll never be able to play. And then you also got to pay like monthly fees to like, you know, for gaming and stuff like that. And it's just like, oh, my God, there's so many things to pay for. It's just like this is capitalist hell. This is what gaming is. is like now. And it's one of those things where it's like that was like one of the obvious criticisms, right? But one of the less obvious criticisms, it's like the more I think about the indentured servitude thing, like I can't help but think about, especially we live in California, which is, you know, wildfire capital of the states anyway. <laughs> and I can't help but remember the article title that's like, thanks to, uh, thanks to like recent uh, prison releases, uh, mm. there's less firefighters available for, uh, to fight wildfires. Because our state has this awesome thing where we pay where or inmates have a chance to earn cents on the dollar while being sent to the front lines to fight fires. <laughs> and it's like supposed to be this cool, like feel-good story when in reality it's like, oh cool, we're giving people 12 cents to go like asphyxiate or possibly burn alive. That's fucking fantastic. <laughs> it's fucking horrifying. The things that we try to paint as positive stories are like absolutely frightening. And literally the only difference here is that our state does that as opposed to here where it's like a private industry that kind of does it with people. So, and people are pretty much known to be in, as far as the movie goes, uh, and pretty much be an indentured servitude for their entire life. Um, So Wade, uh, as we go through and we learn more about the um, what's it called? The Oasis. We get introduced to Wade as avatar, which is Parsival. Uh, and pretty much everyone in the Oasis operates on a, you know, just using their, their what's it called, um, username and using their uh, avatar. So no one knows what anyone looks like. The, you know, the same thing as right now. Like, you can create it on the internet. You can create whatever identity you want to be. And that's kind of what these, uh, these folks do. Uh, we get introduced also to Wade's friend H. And we also hear uh, talk about Artemis, who is a famous gunter. 
and then uh essentially you know part uh parzival's character is kind of broke especially when we see him in real life so he can't really afford to go on the same um adventures that h goes because h goes to like that doom planet where it's like essentially free for all murder <laughs> like murder planet and that's where we also get in uh introduced to uh two of their friends uh Sho and Daito uh who are uh, Japanese players and uh, also Gunters and pretty much all this takes us to uh the first uh challenge which people discovered is a race a race through what looks like is supposed to be New York yeah and right yeah it looks like New York and it's like as they drive through it, essentially the 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 filmmakers here the writers steven spielberg just had this idea how many like universal references can we pack into this? <laughs> i do love that we get the t-rex from jurassic park yeah we get the t-rex from jurassic park we see and king Parzival. kong we get king kong we get uh parzival's driving the uh what's it called the back to the future delorean uh eight what's her face uh artemis is driving kaneda's bike from akira you get to see the ecto-1 from ghostbusters you get to see the 1960s batmobile <laughs> like there's a lot like they pack in a lot of like references and models there you know so we get uh, we get to see all these cool car models and as we get near the end we also see like a bunch of ioi cars get destroyed all the while Wade is picking up coins uh, throughout the race to kind of refuel his car. And he's not able to get enough speed to make this jump because apparently as the race goes, they get the racers get chased by Kong. And as anyone comes off the jump right at the end, you know, Kong comes in, just smashes the shit out of your car. <laughs> and the thing is, if you lose and you zero out in a challenge, which pretty much is you lose all your hit points and you lose all your money, uh, you lose everything you have and you actually have to start your uh, avatar over again. Uh, so pretty much losing anything in these challenges is a pretty big deal in, in, in this world. So... After Parzival isn't able to make the jump, he sees that Artemis is uh, gunning for it. And knowing that she can't make the jump, he tries to force her to bail, ends up like tackling her off her bike. And as her bike goes flying, Kong just destroys it and throws the lump like right back at her. And then, um, you know, it's like she talks about how she could have made that and kind of blames him. And he promises that his buddy can fix her motorcycle. So we go from there. He takes Artemis to H's hangout where he gets to show off all her nerd or all his, yeah, all of H's like nerd stuff. Like they get to see spaceships like from Battlestar Galactica, from Star Wars, from I don't know what else. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure there was like a something from Star Trek as well in there. And then they kind of like, Artemis start kind of like checking Artemis and Parzival start kind of like checking each other on holiday knowledge um, seeing who kind of knows what and they started talking about oh this was his favorite game this is his favorite movie and I was just like it's times like that where I, I cringe because it's like such like I don't know it's such lazy writing I don't know <laughs> it feels weird like it's just such a high school thing 
And I think I cringe because I was that high school nerd that was like, <laughs> oh, you like, you know, you like Kid Cudi? Name five of his best albums or some shit. You know, like I was that type of dude. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, gatekeepers, right? It's things we always make fun of. And we do make fun of it, but that is, I think this movie shows how annoying it is in nerd culture because I don't think I've ever seen something gatekept as much as anything by nerds. And I'm talking about anything. Oh not just my like God, any, it is the worst. You and I are avid wrestling nerds. We love wrestling. Mm-hmm. Sometimes each other. Just kidding. <laughs> not kidding. <laughs> not kidding. It's oily. Not, but... Uh, <laughs> but like our wrestling like fan bases whether you watch wwe or any other promotion like it's so tribalistic and annoying or dc and and marvel or dc and marvel is another star trek versus star wars it is it's just it's for some reason people can't just enjoy things like we need to find reasons why what i like is more important is somehow more valid than whatever you like like it's so uh, i don't know it's it's how how people turn what they like into a personality trait and i guess when you are a weirdo like a what's it called? what's the term i was looking for uh, a recluse weirdo that kind of depends on escapism and you don't have a chance to develop your personality you kind of have to turn certain things you see into your personality well yeah cuz i mean think of the fact that most of these characters live their entire lives in a pretend universe right mm-hmm. and it's like in many ways it, it's the you enjoy the time that you spend inside of this a lot more like it just seems like a lot more of a wonderful place to be so why would you want to be in the real world so, uh, that's actually a feeling Halliday himself echoes because as um you know after the the scene in h's workshop uh they end up artemis ends up having like a blow up with uh parzival because she says he's too cautious and you know like she's for real about stopping ioi and that he's not and like a true gunter because he's not willing to sacrifice like whatever he needs to to possibly win so she ends up saying something that triggers him to kind of go back and go through holiday's files and he starts looking into i think it was like a date he had or something because he ended up um hitting on his best friend's girlfriend before they got together but the point is that um he talks about uh he echoes exactly what you just said like it when you live in a in the real world which sucks why would you want to go back when you have an alternative he goes maybe they should make a they should make something where you proceed forward by going back which is like this secret that 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 clicks in parzival's head so the next time they go back to the race one everyone else takes off going forward trying to beat kong again (laughs) parzival ends up just full speed like driving in reverse and goes through like a secret track that like takes people all the way to the end and pretty much just leaves you at the finish line so it's like as he's driving in reverse he watches all the other racers um, you know, get destroyed and lo- and 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 he watches the race real time as he just has like a nice leisurely drive. That is the stupidest challenge I've ever seen. <laughs> I was so pissed off. I was like, what the fuck? 
<laughs> it's like, like the person who like wrote the script or come came up with the actual challenges like never actually played a fucking video game it is so like <laughs> that's the laziest bullshit i've ever seen especially like in the book at least the book puts some thought in how to do this because in the book wade is so broke that he can't actually leave the beginner level of the oasis which is like where they go to school and they do like day-to-day lives and shit like that. And it's like, so H goes to school with them, but H is like, Hey, peace. I'm going to go to my, I'm going to go to this like Dungeons and Dragons planet. I'll see you later. And like all his friends leave. So he's just stuck at the school planet by himself. And he's like, man, fuck this. I guess I'm just going to explore here since I can't afford to get off planet. Mm -hmm. And as he's like going around, he found, he finds like a secret cave and that, and using his knowledge on Halliday, he goes in and he like ends up finding, I think, like Halliday's uh what's it called, Avatar. And he ends up playing him on Joust. And that's like the first challenge. And it's that's like he be infinitely more interesting. And I feel like it's one of those things that you could do better if this was a series as opposed to a singular movie. Oh, a hundred percent. Because and I'll tell you right now, the book is split up into like three parts, if I remember correctly like two or three parts um so and, and they have natural conclusions where it feels like you could have split ready player one into like a trilogy or at least two movies if you wanted to and it would have had a better flow and it, the movie and at least the story would have made sense it would have been better you wouldn't have had to jam pack the first 20 minutes with expo and like this like fast-paced world building because I think that happens, I want to say like 40, maybe about 40 pages in. And that's when you start getting in the meat of it. And then the book is like 300 and something pages. So it's like by the time you start and getting into the egg hunt, it like just kind of builds up. Um, like the pacing in the book is actually very well done. But it's like here and it's like the, the challenges are really well thought out. Because it's like when they get the gate key, they have to then immediately do a challenge where um like wade is thrown into halliday's favorite movies and the way he beats the challenge is by uh staying on script and pl- and he pretty much takes over a character in the movie and has to do lines uh from those movies like iconic lines like i think he has a he does a scene from like war games and then i think he does a scene from ah oh, shit I don't remember i gotta go back and look but you know like it, it's something a little bit more interesting mm-hmm. and a lot more east like it's a lot more uh referential to 80s movies but this is just he just drives in reverse for like five minutes i'm like this is stupid <laughs> it feels like yeah it, it definitely feels like the novel is something that more closely references 80s nostalgia whereas this kind of does a little 80s nostalgia but feels more like again an ip gangbang of ideas <laughs> they're just like look we have a minimum amount of characters we have to shove in here from all these different ips so we're gonna do it we need to meet our quota or else we're all going to get shot by steven spielberg <laughs> <laughs> it's called spielberg's list okay i'm done no <laughs> <laughs> oh shit <laughs> Oh, this is <laughs> dark. Damn, I hate this movie. <laughs> oh no! I said put in sloth from the Goonies. Click, click. 
<laughs> oh shit! Why aren't there more gremlins in this? Da, 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 da. <laughs> gremlins are in uh, uh, Space Jam, I believe, though. Yeah, so at least we get that. <laughs> Do you think Steven Spielberg was just having like a kind of like a, a moment, like? He was just smoking a cigarette, just like fully pleasured by. No, space. Steven Spielberg was having a midlife crisis. That's how this movie came about because it's literally like somebody like remembering their glory days and talking about, hey, remember when I did all this cool stuff? And it's like 50 years too late <laughs> and it looks old and it looks bloated. And it's kind of like, it's like that scene in Pulp Fiction where, uh, Uma Thurman and uh, John Travolta in the dance contest and then it's just like you just remember like how suave and young Travolta was in like something like Saturday Night Fever and then now you see like the old fatter balder version (laughs) and it's like you have just felt the years go by by watching this scene and that's kind of like what Steven Spielberg is he's doing the He's he's basically fat John Travolta. <laughs> As someone who's becoming the balder, fatter version of myself, I don't take kindly to this. I am also becoming the balder, fatter version of myself, so I understand. And then it's going to happen to you, dear listener. <laughs> Start turning into Grandpa Simpson. Oh God! <laughs> we need to get through this. This episode's <laughs> going off the rails. <laughs> okay, so after Parzival wins, he ends up giving H an idea. Uh, Artemis figures it out, and then Daito and Show end up uh, winning. So they end up getting the first, um, the first, the copper key as well, and all of them end up getting their names on their scoreboard, and they become officially known as the High Five. Which is weird because they make a big idea about how, or they make this big deal about how Wade isn't going to guild up. But immediately, the first chance he gets, he starts working together with other people. I was like, okay, I guess. (laughs) At least in the book, it takes them a while for them to start kind of working together. In the movie, they're just like, hey, let's not work together, nerds. (laughs) So immediately, Wade falls for Artemis, which makes sense. I mean, she's literally a manic pixie dream girl like that's kind of what her avatar looks like (laughs) and it's like as um oh and it it is also important to note that after parzival won wade in the real world won a shit ton of money and so he's he buys a better setup for himself uh to go into the oasis and buys a bunch of cool like new gear to use in the uh in the game including like i think he has the the holy hand grenade of antioch from uh, monty python and then they get a for some reason does robert zemeckis really like uh rubik's cubes is there something that i don't get there honestly i don't know it just feels like one of those things that people in 80s movies or, or people who think they knew what the 80s was about like basically just can't get over <laughs> It's just one of those toys that never died the way it should have. I mean, so, honestly, it's, it's, I mean, obviously it's a toy that I played with in the 90s, but it's one of those things where it's like people are doing Rubik's Cubes and listening to Michael Jackson. It's just like, 
it's quintessential 80s like stuff from people who may only remember certain things of the 80s yeah yeah i can see that so after after wade pretty much gets an upgrade he uh pretty much gets asked out by artemis to go to this uh space club much to h's like dismay h is trying to convince him not to do it not to trust her he doesn't know what she looks like he ends up showing up in a bungaroo bonsai outfit which uh played by peter weller so you know we stand peter weller in this podcast oh r.i.p peter weller r.i.p indeed that young king well not so young king <laughs> i have such a soft spot in my heart for him he he was still alive for this, right? Like it wasn't until after this that he passed away. This isn't like some sort of away? this isn't like CGI Peter Weller. No, no, no. It's um <laughs> thank God, no. Oh my god, that would be so terrifying. No, Peter Weller isn't in this at all. It's just they take his uh outfit from Buckaroo Banzai. Gotcha. So they just he just uses his costume. So it's kind of like the fucking weird ass, like not droogs <laughs> that you see in space to him. Yeah, yeah, it's like that. It's legally distinct droogs. <laughs> Just like how here it's legally distinct Peter Weller's costume. <laughs> yeah. So he ends up meeting her up at the um at the club. They end up dancing, and Wade commits a which even my stupid primitive brain knows is a bad idea, ends up giving her his real name. <laughs> With an earshot of this very clearly bad guy, <laughs> which oh by the way, main villain of the, or one of the main villains of the movie, voiced by T.J. Miller. <laughs> yeah, it's this... just like when you're watching like the first few seasons of Silicon Valley or Cloverfield Deadpool. or Deadpool. It's just like things that you're just like, all right, well, whatever. I have to face it somehow. This kind of kills my esteem for this movie, which I had so much of. <laughs> but yeah, he plays the main villain, or one of the main villains named Irock, um, who looks like total what 13-year-old school-loving Javi would have made his avatar look like. <laughs> so they end up finding out Wade's real name and are able to track down exactly where he lives. IOI ends up getting the jump on him, and as they uh, try to shoot their way, Wade almost dies, uh, shoot their way out of this club. He ends up using the Zemeckis cube that, I guess, resets everything back to 60 seconds ago, which is a really, like, broken power, and it makes me wonder, like, I love that Artemis is like, why are you barely using this now? Because I would have been furious. I'm like, why the fuck is he just using this now? He could have saved their asses a long time ago. So after getting this information, the, um, what's his name? Nolan Sorrento is actually uh, reaches out to Wade in a, in an effort to try to get him to, to, to what's it called? Uh, join IOI. So that way he, they can bring him in on as a consultant, give him like six figures, and essentially, his job is just to go into the Oasis and try to find uh, Halliday's Easter egg. Um, he ends up having a moment where, like, his cool guy Han Solo moment where he just kind of tells uh, Nolan Sorrento to shove it. And uh, Sorrento ends up telling him that he's glad he didn't uh, accept the offer because now he can beat him and all his friends and win it himself. And he ends up threatening 
he ends threatening up threatening children. He, yeah, he not so he threatens this 15-year-old kid. No, 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 no. Doesn't just threaten a 15-year-old, <laughs> sets off explosives and commits an act of terrorism. <laughs> <laughs> causing fucking this, seriously causing, this is the part of the movie where I was like holy fucking dog shit no the okay you think that's dark so okay the stacks end up falling after your explosion killing Wade's aunt and his shit <laughs> just imagine Willy Wonka like blowing up Charlie's house for no reason <laughs> he, he just puts on <laughs> Joker makeup and becomes Joaquin Phoenix Joker Oh shit! No, so the book is a little bit. The, the book is a little bit uh, darker, in my opinion. So in the book, um, Wade is actually from Oklahoma City, and I think they had to change the. Um, they ended up changing the location of the of the stacks because I don't think that Oklahoma City has a really like fun history when it comes to public bond. Oh, oh. (laughs) so in the book that yeah that happens not only that one of the characters i want to say it's like uh daito they're like in the middle of um they're like in the middle of of like talking like him and uh wade are talking in the oasis and Mm -hmm. suddenly his character like starts glitching out and Wade can hear his feed, and I swear to God, this happens in the book. It turns out IOI sent like a hit squad to his house to like jump the kid, rip off his gear, and then throw him out the window to make it look like a suicide <laughs> because he refused their deal. And Wade hears this and he's like, Holy, fucking shit. they just <laughs> murdered my friend. <laughs> so this child's game is so fucking important that IOI has literally just got hit us in the streets. I was like, holy shit, this is wild. So now uh Parzival ends up getting, or I'm sorry, in the real world, Wade ends up getting jumped by some guy and brought to a, a secret location where we find out that Artemis is actually in real life leading a uh, like underground group of egg hunters that are working together to try to, I guess, like a, like a secret resistance against IOI. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're essentially working in real life to try to stop, um, try to stop IOI from uh, getting the, uh, the Easter egg. So we get to meet, um, we get to meet Artemis in real life and we find out her name is Samantha Cook. And she, I mean. This is Lena White's character, right? No, this is Olivia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing about Samantha is that she's, I mean, she's, she's like movie attractive, right? Like she's. Oh, just, yeah. 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 The, the girl that he's into. <laughs> yeah. You know what this reminds me of? I swear to you. All this movie does is remind me of other city movies. I wonder but, why. But, but this like this like love story in a video game where they're like much more attractive people in the game. 
is like uh it's something that's straight out of that 2017 Jumanji sequel. <laughs> where the girls Jack Black. No, we're like, yeah, like I mean, yeah, it's just like where they're all like random characters that look nothing like them in real life. I'm just like I oh, can see know. that. <laughs> like I wish I wish this movie wouldn't make me think of everything else but this movie. <laughs> but that's what this movie's meant to do because it has so much shit going on. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the thing though. The the girl Samantha, she's actually like she's cute. She doesn't look like cuz they make this whole big deal about how she might be an uggo and he knows nothing about her and that like she you know who we are online is just who we want people to look to view us as right and then when we finally meet samantha it's like okay you are a averagely attractive woman but how are we going to make her so hideous and disgusting is let's give her a birthmark over her eye and i was just like really like this is stupid it's the weirdest thing like it gives the it gives a very it gives a really weird message like imagine being a young girl and you're watching this movie and then you're 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 expected to believe that this like like this pretty looking girl is suddenly hideous because she has like a very almost unnoticeable birthmark on her face i was just like oh this this is the type of shit that would play out in an 80s movie and this is the type of shit that doesn't age too well and you know as this when this movie came out which was like 2018 so I wasn't a huge fan of that. I thought that was kind of stupid. Uh, but kind of moving on, I guess the next story beat is that IOI ends up just, IOI is just fucking this kid's life up. They end up finding out where the resistance is and end up uh, raiding them again. And as um, Parzival is, or as Parzival uh, is like trying to make his escape, they end up meeting up with the rest of the rest of the team, right? So this is where we where we meet H, we meet Sho and Dido, and we find out that Sho is like a ten year old kid. We find out H is uh, a woman, or I don't know, she's a grown woman, but we find out that she's like a lesbian and she's black and she's from like Atlanta, and it's like the whole you never know who you're talking to on the internet. Because people are whoever they want to be, and I love, and I actually do like what, um, like kind of one of the social commentary things that H says. I don't remember if it's in the movie or the book, but she does mention that, like, hey, like the reason why my avatar is a dude is because people respond way better to me when I would pretend to be a dude as opposed to me being myself. So that's why I look like that. Um, and Wade doesn't make a big deal about it. He's just like, you're still my best friend, no matter what. So, you know, that I guess that's your heartwarming moment. But this all takes us to the lovely, <laughs> the shining scene <laughs> in this movie. So this, the, the, the shining scene is played up for laughs because, um, because H has never seen The Shining, because H doesn't like uh, scary movies. But essentially our, our high five, our heroes end up trying to find the next uh the next key for the easter egg it's the and best part of this movie to be you to think completely so? on absolutely absolutely it's the best part of this movie <laughs> because i a- am a huge fan of the shining it is yeah, one of my yeah. favorite movies of all time and it is funny to like th- this really is like where it feels like a party like it feels like 
you introducing a movie that you've loved growing up as a horror film to your friends and then and like to me because it's just it's so comedic like just seeing how terrified like they are of it it's just like yeah it reminds me of like watching something i think is scary with my friends and then they're just like roasting what we're watching the entire time i found people either hate this scene or love it Apparently, it's very polarizing because people are like, this is disrespectful. Yeah. I mean, nerds will be nerds. It's like, I hate anyone who hates this. Not to mention, hey, like, Stanley Kubrick and Steven Spielberg were buddies, and Spielberg even completed Stanley Kubrick's, like, movie that was supposed to be his final film after, that's supposed to be his next film after Eyes Wide Shut, uh, Mm -hmm. Artificial Intelligence. So, whatever. It's like, they're they're close enough to where I'm not going to. And, you know what? You know, Who cares? Yeah, another thing, like Stanley anyway. Kubrick is Stanley Kubrick was kind of a monster in real life yeah. too. So whatever. Yeah, he fucking. Well, what was the wife's name from uh from The Shining again? Shelley Duvall. Yeah, he broke Shelley Duvall, so it's like fuck him. <laughs> yeah, he's he's he's, a, he's kind of an animal. Yeah, he's time. kind of a dickhead. So whatever. So. As we go through, you know, there's some references. They have the hedge mage or the hedge maze scene. Uh, they have the scene in the in the room. Ah, fuck, I always forget what room it what what the room is. Um, where H ends up getting confronted by the naked lady in the shower. I'm sorry, in the bathtub. And then, uh, you know, they have to outrun the blood when it comes up from the from the elevator. Like it's just, like yeah, it's it's a really fun scene. And they did a fantastic job of recreating what the Overlook Hotel looked like. Um, so it's, a, yeah, it's definitely a fun scene. Well, probably a high high point in the film. I'm just really surprised you enjoyed it. I thought you would be one of those that's like, eh, it's cool, I guess. But this ends up taking us to the real challenge of the last, um, or to get the second key, which is a like ballroom dance with zombies. And essentially, it plays on the idea that uh, instead of going dancing, Halliday took um, his girlfriend Kira to go watch uh, The Shining. So hidden within the Shine or the Overlook Hotel, there's this dance floor where uh, they have to work their way to get to Kira's avatar so that they can like dance with her. So Artemis ends up jumping from floating zombie to floating zombie until she finally gets the chance um gets her chance and asks uh kira for a dance to which kira responds i've been waiting to hear that for forever or something like that or you don't know how long i've been waiting to hear that uh which ends up getting him the uh the next key right and i think from there i think i told a little bit out of um a little out of order but what ends up happening is that that's when they end up getting raided and Sam, uh, Samantha ends up getting taken by IOI um, and taken to one of the uh, indentured servant camps. So the rest of our the rest of our heroes end up hacking Nolan Sorrento's um, what's it called his um, his rig, and they make him think that that uh, they're in the real world, and they're they essentially set up a simulation of his uh, office. Uh, and have it make or have him believe that 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 pretty much they found him in the real world and that they're going to kill him, right? How very inception of them. 
yeah that's what i was trying to feel like i'm like this is a reference to something i just didn't know what and i think it is very inception (laughs) it's super them going into saito's dream at the beginning of inception (laughs) where it's like it's like they have to trick you into believing that what's happening is you're not dreaming and uh so they have to create things that look exactly like things you have in real life so they get to um so they, they they end up finding out through Sorrento that kind of how to get um Samantha out of her out of her cell. And he eventually figures out that they're actually like in a simulation. So he you know they, he forces them to kind of like let him go. And but our heroes find out that uh IOI has essentially taken over planet Doom. And the final challenge is located in Castle Anorak, which is like the, I guess, main hub for Halliday's uh, avatar. And they have a special device. Like they have this, uh, this like 20 sided die looking thing that sets up a giant dome that nobody can uh, get through and is completely indestructible. So our heroes are, aren't able to get through. Meanwhile, the IOI like team is just working around the clock, trying to trying to solve the last uh, bit of the what's it called? Um, trying to trying to figure out the last challenge. I'm sorry, I don't know why I'm like <laughs> I got so spacey there. <laughs> so Parzival ends up putting an open line to all of the Oasis and calls every Gunter out there. And he asks, uh, pretty much just gives this impassioned speech about getting everyone and and doing the last hurrah because the Oasis is for everyone and that IOI doesn't get to take it from them. And that, uh, you know, he asks everyone if they're willing to fight with him. It's the hero speech. Pretty much it's the big hero speech. Mm -hmm. So suddenly, like, just millions of avatars show up on planet Doom and they're like blasting the the they're blasting the shield as hard as they can, unable to uh, break it out. Eventually, with the help of uh, Artemis, who is within the shield, posing as a IOI drone, she's able to uh, what's it called? Uh, destroy the the orb of, of protection, which ends up killing the spell. And gives our heroes and pretty much like this massive army the the chance to go in and fight. So we just get a huge action set piece, and it's like reference after reference after IP after IP. You know, like you see all these crazy characters, and there's some cool stuff that happens here, right? Um, so mm-hmm. they end up like saving, um, or Parzival ends up picking up Artemis. This is the part where we see um, H uh, pulls, uh, she uses the Iron Giant and she starts like destroying uh, a bunch of the tanks. Oh, we get to see Parzival throw a Chucky doll, which ends up, (laughs) (laughs) which then goes on a like killing. The funny part of that is that we have like a friend of ours who's legit, like absolutely terrified of Chucky. (laughs) I would just picture that like the easiest way to make him shit himself is to fucking throw a Chucky doll at him. (laughs) 
my favorite part and the reason why it's the best joke in the movie is because so when he throws the chucky at one of the dudes in the game it smash cuts to the guy in real life and goes holy fuck it's chucky <laughs> and the Chucky dog just starts murdering like ten of them. <laughs> Why does that remind me of that holy fuckles? It's knuckles meme. <laughs> the knuckles meme. <laughs> I think you might have to post that on the story. <laughs> Be like, where the fuck did this come up in your ready player one episode? Uh um, I remember that was my reaction when I found out about Drisalba being Knuckles. <laughs> I turned yeah. to someone and was like, holy fuck, was this? <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, shit. But the big cool thing that happens here is that Sorrento ends up using the... Uh, or he ends up creating a Mecha Godzilla that does not look like Mecha Godzilla, but that's not here nor there. Actually, I think it looks shockingly similar to the Mecha Godzilla that they will make in the Godzilla versus Kong movie. That because I was expecting Mecha God like OG Mecha Godzilla, and yeah, I think you're right. It looks closer to like Godzilla versus Kong Mecha Godzilla. I almost wonder if like Spielberg didn't know that they were gonna do something like this soon because I'm not kidding. Like it looks shockingly like that Mecha Godzilla. I wonder if they were under time crunch and were like, hey, we have the we have the rights to that movie. Let's just use that model. <laughs> I mean, maybe this was after yeah, 2014. Yeah. So, you know, it's definitely they were they were building that Godzilla universe. The coolest thing we get to see, though, and you can tell that uh, I forgot who owns Gundam, but whatever company owns Gundam was just like, hey, don't fuck up. Our, don't fuck up our thing, America. <laughs> <laughs> because the Gundam, like the amount of detail that goes that went into the Gundam, like when it when uh the dude starts using like the 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 beam saber and fights off Mecha Godzilla, mm-hmm. I was like, holy shit, this is really fucking cool looking. Like this is yeah, really I don't good. understand any of these things, so yeah. I will I will absolutely let you tell me if that is accurate. <laughs> no, like it 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 was very yeah, I know you're not a huge anime fan, but yeah, like the the detail on the guy on the um on the Gundam was actually really cool, and it was like a really dope transformation. As like, I forgot who I think it was, um, it was Daito that ends up jumping off his ship, and like as he's falling, he ends up transforming into the Gundam, and it looks really dope. So that that does happen in the in the what's it called um that does happen in the book. But instead of it being a Gundam, it's actually uh, Ultraman. So it's like the dude—I forgot who it was—but the dude instead of turning into the Gundam turns into the Ultraman for a minute, and he just murders the ever-loving shit out of Mechagodzilla. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that part was really cool. And as um, more and more people try to are trying to figure out how to beat the. I think as there as you know this war is going on, a lot of the IOI guys are trying to figure out how to beat the last game. And I think they narrow it down to I think Adventure, which was one of like the first games, fun fact, that has uh like the first Easter egg. So they think if they beat that game, that uh maybe that's the the final challenge to get the last key. Mm-hmm. So as 
uh, Wade, you know, start, as he rallies the troops and as they make their way to the entrance of the of the castle, uh, Nolan Sorrento <laughs> ends up setting off like this player nuke. Get, uh, what's it called? Uh, item that ends up killing every player on the planet and zeroes everyone out, including like IOI uh, drones. So now, with no one on the planet, you're just like, oh, cool, like everyone lost, right? <laughs> so it actually turns out that, um, that uh, what's his name? Parzival got a, a one up token. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he i forgot how it happened in in the movie was it that he oh he he beat the curator uh at a bet right like he made a mm-hmm. bet with him mm-hmm. and that's how he got the coin so that was actually changed from the book because in the book he goes on this whole last side mission where he like goes to the planet from i think 2112 that rush album or some shit like that so I don't know, it's weird, but like everything gets it gets changed to how he gets the coin in the book. But he ends up um getting the one up, and as he plays the game, he plays through. And meanwhile, you know, I'm not I'm not talking about what's going on in the real world because you know there's a lot of cutting, but essentially IOI is attacking the the high five and they're trying to escape through the city of I think they're in Columbus. Um so they're trying their best to stay away from IOI driving an H's truck. Uh, meanwhile, like more assassins are looking for them. <laughs> but eventually way they end up uh, crashing their car into the uh, in back at the stacks. And it's there where uh, Wade gives like this speech talking about uh, the first Easter egg. And he ends up finding the Easter egg, which was the real challenge, winning the final key. And he gets to talk to Halliday, um, Halliday's avatar, like actual Holiday. And this mm-hmm. is where he tells him that he's going to get ownership of the company and that he's going to uh, have the complete power over the Oasis and that he originally created it because as he is this guy that can't connect with the world, that was his way to kind of be out and experience life. Um, so... He, so Wade ends up using the key and taking ownership and claiming the egg and essentially becoming the owner of the uh, owner of the Oasis. Mm-hmm. And it was at this time that Ogden Morrow, played by Simon Pegg, comes in and he's just very, really proud of these guys for for kind of keeping true to Halliday's uh, dream of keeping the Oasis free for everybody. Um and wade ends up sharing ownership of the oasis with uh the rest of his friends <clears throat> sorrento ends up getting a well we're we're i forgot exactly if he gets arrested because the movie also deposits that the people from the stacks find out that he blew up the stacks that killed wade's uh aunt so it could deposit that the angry mob also murdered him <laughs> <laughs> so that is a possibility but we essentially find out that ioi gets dissolved uh after that because they find out about uh ioi's like you know murders and everything they've been doing with trying to trying to get the oasis 
and as their friends you know everything is good they give power back to the people wade and his company decide to close the oasis down every tuesday and thursday because they want people to experience life and he says all this through a voiceover as we watch him and um samantha make out and we're left to assume they go make sweet sweet nerdy love and that's <laughs> ready player one <laughs> roll credits yeah i you know all right should we get into all right i'll ask you javi did you like ready player one no <laughs> <laughs> like how you had mouth noise followed by no you're like i didn't fart i want to fart <laughs> <laughs> rip a fart on mike and just be like no i don't <laughs> this oh, is shit. just it's not a good movie like the it feels like the script is very like convoluted very lazy like it's very lazy it, like expo dumps it relies way too much on narration as opposed to just showing me what could happen mm-hmm. it just tries to pack in way too much and this is a fairly long movie it's like two hours and 20 minutes it is way too long and it does not justify its runtime. uh if you are complete giving your thoughts on it i will i will give my closing thoughts on this film yeah go for it it I don't like it. I thought it was bad. I thought there's lots of other movies that are doing things that this movie is doing. I'm sorry, Ready Player One. Maybe the book the book sounds a whole lot better based on what you've been saying throughout this episode. So if you like the concept of this and would like to get an interesting story out of it, maybe maybe we would recommend reading the book. But I definitely wouldn't recommend you watching this movie because in terms of the movie, Space Jam does this shit of bringing all these IPs into a singular movie and making it fun. Does that bit a whole lot better? This movie thinks it's fun. Like it really it really feels like an old man who thinks he's doing something that everyone's going to find cool and then you're all just kind of watching and you're like, "Eh, that's stuff that old people like. I don't really care about it as much as you think I do." And I just couldn't it just and it also just wasn't fun enough. Like Something with the T-Rex from Jurassic Park and King Kong and Mechagodzilla, like something that has all of these awesome characters in it, you would think it would be more fun. And I think because the movie does get so caught up in, in the minutia of how, like, how this world is supposed to work, how the Oasis is, like all this stuff, it's just like, it's just not interesting enough for me. Like, you know, like it, it very Willy Wonka, as I said before, but you know what's really nice about he- Willy Wonka, which I only saw like less than a couple months ago? It's like a short ass movie. I think it's only mm-hmm. 90 minutes or 80 minutes long. Like that movie flies by absolutely quickly. And this one, you just spend way too much time in it. Um, the climax is not really interesting or exciting at all. You know, it's just like everything that's not inside of this video game world is absolutely not that interesting. And the story of, you know, of Wade, like becoming the guy who owns the Oasis and giving it back to everyone. It just it doesn't really it's not that interesting to me. 
And then he can get back in that follows like old, like old eighties Hollywood tropes where it's like, yeah, your main character, your main characters are like mostly of action. Your main action characters are these two white characters. And then you have like, like, yeah, you got show and Daito and H and it's like, yeah, you got characters of color, but they're just literally relegated to being in the background. It's just like, eh, that's, that's the other thing. This, I think here's the thing. This movie just feels dated in every way possible. Whether it's the script, whether it's like the references, whether it's just the story, or even if it's just the tropes, like it has weird 80s tropes that worked back then that do not work now. Yeah, it's not as hip as it thinks it is. And so it's, I mean, it's a cool movie in the sense that there's a lot of cool colors and it's flashy. I, I won't the I mean one of the redeeming things is how good the CG models look. Um at least I didn't pay attention to look for things in the details <laughs> during the action scenes. So I wasn't looking for anything bad, but I mean for the most part it looked okay. Like at least the CGI looked passable. But as far as like a story, I'm just like, ugh, you're good. Watch Space Jam. Watch both Space Jam. I like our review of this movie is watch Space Jam. People are gonna absolutely fucking hate us. <laughs> oh, yeah. How's your review on Ready Player One? Hey, watch Space Jam. <laughs> All right, so I'd like to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. Um, we are coming up on Halloween now. It is officially fall. We are out of summer, and I'm ready for us to get back into some horror movies. So we're we're working on finalizing a schedule so that starting next week we can kind of jump back into more horror movies up until you know uh, up until uh, Halloween. So <laughs> be on the lookout. Like you fucks. <laughs> so be on the lookout for it. And again, I apologize for for the delays in this. Like you know, we've only had like two episodes this month. It's definitely been a pain in the ass, like to 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 get through some of this, just because our schedules are changing right now. Like you know, and uh, for us to continue to keep this podcast going, we have to adjust. Oh, no, yeah, I'll talk about it on podcast. Like, I'm in grad school right now, y'all. Like, Angel's schedule's changing with his work responsibilities. Like, they're expecting a little bit more from him. We're going to try our best to keep putting out content on the regular. But, um, yeah, I mean, life hasn't stopped for us. And, in fact, life has actually gotten more busy for us. Yes, but so we are committing to, to, to getting back onto a regular schedule so that we can uh, – so that we can – continue to uh head towards halloween because really the september october months are some of the best months of the show i really love when we like go full on into horror movies oh yeah i hope you guys are ready for fat boy fall because it's gonna be or fearful boy fall (laughs) because this is where we talk about all the scary movies um i did want to i was gonna make a uh losing my summer body like joke earlier but Nah, I prefer Fat Boy Fall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, thanks for, for joining us for this episode. Um, please continue to interact with us on social media. Please uh, leave us reviews on Apple Podcasts so that we can 
rays of visibility of the show and uh please you know continue to follow us as you have and we appreciate you guys who are downloading every one of our new episodes and are hanging in there with us so uh thank you guys for listening to this episode and we'll talk to you guys next time please enjoy our very timely review of ready player one <laughs> <laughs> Later, y'all.